Welcome to My Runner's Mind, where we run with gratitude towards a life of happiness and gratefulness. I'm your host, Stina Turgeon, and I believe that as runners, we're uniquely positioned to choose gratitude over negativity. Running itself is so badass, and each run offers multiple opportunities to turn a potentially negative thought or feeling into a positive one. Tune in as I'll share behind the scenes of what goes into my 12-week program, My Runner's Mind, which is mindset and spiritual coaching for women runners who know that they're ready to shift away from the shoulds and ought tos in their running routine and replace them with want and desire to live a happier and more balanced life. Are you ready? Let's go! Hi friends, runners. Maybe you're dreaming about becoming a runner. Maybe you ask yourself if you're really a runner. Either way, welcome to episode 48. So I did something crazy a few days ago. Now, if you've been listening for a while, I'm sure you already know what I'm talking about. I ran the Big Serena National Marathon. It was my first marathon. And the Big Sur is a race on many runners' bucket lists, thanks to how incredibly scenic it is. And also how difficult it is to get into. It's a lottery event. I want you to imagine running through redwoods out along the rugged Pacific coast on Highway 1 and into the highlands of Carmel by the sea. And that's Big Sur for you. It's wild to think that I just hit my big goal that I've been working towards dedicatedly for seven months since September of last year. But in the bigger scheme of things, it's actually been something I've been talking about for two and a half years since I was first drawn for the 2020 race, which of course was canceled. On one hand, it doesn't seem unreal because I've been so focused on this race and I've spent time visualizing running it. But today I want to share the experience after I've taken some time to process it. I've also had a chance to talk to my running instructors during my certification class and I want to share what they said to my reflections on achiness and pain and the experience of running it that came up. And this is a good step because it's analyzing feedback to improve on my form going forward. So stick around for that part also. All right, just some quick facts on the race. My time, according to the official Big Sur stats, was right in line with the average time for women. Four hours and 48 minutes, which breaks down to about an 11-minute mile. This time is also in line with the global average time for women runners. There is such a stat in case you didn't know that. I didn't until I started doing the research for it. The global average time for women is 4 hours and 42 minutes. Now, why am I mentioning this? Just because going in, I didn't have a true time goal because it was my first race. So I kind of did this research after the fact. And I think like my first half marathon, I wanted to focus on getting more of a feel for what it's like running the distance and not worry so much about a time goal. So in all honesty, Big Sur is not your average road marathon as far as terrain goes. One runner mentioned how she counted the number of hills and there are 25 in total. Not kidding. And the famous or maybe infamous of the mall is Hurricane Point, which is two miles long. It starts at the 10 mile mark. 
Going into this race, I had read a lot about this particular hill and how to best prepare for it. And in hindsight, though, I think I had a little bit of blinders on as far as forgetting the other 24 hills. Not really. I knew they were there, at least that there were more than just Hurricane Point, obviously, but I didn't realize just how many hills there were. And so by mile 18, 17 maybe, I think 18, I remember feeling quad twitching, which I've never felt before, not even during long runs. And I trained in pretty hilly country here in Wyoming. And I remember just being sort of surprised about this. Hmm, isn't that interesting? (laughs) And another fun, in quotation mark, fun fact about Big Sur, the Big Sur Marathon is there is a very strict six-hour cutoff So anybody who has not met certain cutoff points along the road get picked up by the bus and they do not get to finish the race, which of course can play with your mind. But in all honesty, I don't remember at any point worrying about not making it well before the six hour cutoff. I wasn't truly worried about that. All right. So now for the race review so the race started at the big Sur station in kind of like a very woody area and i was in the fourth corral so i started like 20 minutes later than the the first group of runners i had my metronome set for 180 beats and i remember as i was running as we're there's a slight downhill at the beginning and as I was running there I remember several runners close to me would comment on it they would kind of comment to each other wondering where's that noise coming from or they would look at me look around for the sound look at me and ask and I also experienced that some would run with me for a little bit almost like they wanted to kind of pace themselves also along this cadence and somebody even said oh that's really cool I gotta start doing that So as I mentioned, the race started on a little bit of a downhill, but I'd been warned about this and I was in a Facebook group for people who were running the marathon and it was created by one of the pacers who's run it, I don't know, 30 sometimes. And so he had a lot of great, really valuable information. And this was one of the things he really pointed out to all us runners to not start out too fast, too strong, because you're gonna burn out. So I used the first mile as a true warm-up mile, and I ran it when I look back at my Garmin, I ran it close to 12-minute mile. And once we were out of the trees, we then came out into these big open fields with rolling hills cows grazing and the Pacific was off on our left-hand side. It was visible, but it wasn't like we were running right on the edge of the cliff like we would later on in the race. And it was really cool how the mist from the ocean was low hanging. and There was a lot of wind at this point. And at one point here, so this is still within the first maybe six, seven miles of the run, the race, I remember looking up and just seeing this long line of runners up ahead of me. 
this completely unobstructed view. I mean, at least a mile ahead of me, maybe even longer. And that's one thing I really remember about this race, the unobstructed views, which of course is super gorgeous, but it can also be a little, I guess, demoralizing because you see runners up ahead of you for miles. <laughs> You're just like, oh, so I have to get up there and then get up there and then get up there, right? So I had started, like I told you, I was in the fourth corral. So I had started with the five-hour pacer group. Everybody at race registration had to declare a corral. So that's what I did back in September when I signed up. But between mile one and mile 13, I remember distinctly passing at least three pacer groups. Pacers five hours, 450 and 440. All right, so real quick here, I want to make some comments on my running form for you because I think it's so important and it's really what makes a break a race. I was falling, I was paying real close attention to my form. I was falling forward from my ankles so that I could collaborate with gravity, right? So the only way that I can cooperate, I should say, with gravity, which is a force that's always exerted on us, is to fall forward a little bit from my ankles, right? So I was doing that. And my arms were swinging in pace to the beat of the metronome, which was set for 180, right? My, my posture was straight. It was elongated. And my legs were turning over to the swing of my arms. So even though as I was running, I was taking everything in for the first time. I hadn't run this race before. Vistas were just incredible. I can't even describe them, especially as we got closer to the edge of the road. So rugged, so gorgeous, so indescribably gorgeous. I continued to keep my focus on my form which I knew would make or break my race. And so I believe because of this, between miles one and 17, I was really clipping right along, feeling very good, very strong. In fact, looking back at the garment, it shows me running the first mile of Hurricane Point as my fastest mile at that point, nine minute, 14 seconds. And I remember getting to a hill or any of the hills at that point, just leaning into them, tucking my arms in and elongating my posture. And so another note on form, you've heard me say it before, but elongating your posture, especially during hill climbs, makes such a big difference. It's what will lighten your load. You will feel it's counterintuitive. You're gonna to wanna to bear down a little bit. That won't help you. You really want to elongate like a accordion. So stretch from the crown of your head and really elongate your spine. So my Garmin also showed me that I maintained or kept my cadence right around 175. So, all right, I'm gonna switch it up a little bit here. And note on the entertainment stations along the course. I know, right, entertainment stations, you wonder. 
there were a total of 12 entertainment stations. Some of the more memorable ones were the Tyco Drums, for sure, at mile 11. So that was halfway up Hurricane Points. Pretty impressive. I want to say there were 10 or 12 drummers, but I didn't count them, but I think so. Also, there is a piano player, I think his name is Michael Martinez, who plays his piano. It's set up right at the halfway point, right after you cross the iconic Bixby Bridge. And then, of course, the fresh strawberries at mile 23. Prior to that, there were some live bands playing, DJs also, and they all these entertainment stations, I figure, are there because they help keep the spirits high among the runners. Of course, it sets kind of an ambience and a feeling for this whole race, but because the highway, Highway 1, is literally closed off to during the race to spectators, nobody was there cheering for you except for a few locals and all the amazing volunteers that were out there at the aid stations and then, of course, the, the entertainment stations also, right? But so unlike so many other races where you spectators are pretty much everywhere and has such a huge impact on the energy, I think, of runners, the Big Sur Marathon doesn't have that since it's closed off. So I finished my water and my I brought my hydration pack. I finished my water at around mile 13. And at that point, I started accepting water at the aid stations. Up until then, I'd run past all the aid stations not needing anything. I had water in my hydration pack and I had two hand seven ounce little bottles that fit into the pockets of my hydration vest. And I had filled those with liquid goo that held exactly the amount of liquid goo I had figured I needed for this race. So I started liquid goo at mile six and I replenished about every four miles. And then I also supplemented electrolytes in about the same ratio. Now, that's worked well, that combination for me during my training runs. But I did notice around miles 18 or 20, I started feeling queasy from the goo. And I don't know if I just was not getting enough water, even though I was being very diligent about accepting water at every aid station. And they're about two miles apart only. So I was saying how I really felt my form was great for the first 17 miles. So around mile 18, I started experiencing quad twitching, not full on cramps, but just the twitching in itself was new for me. I'd honestly never felt it during my practice runs. And my longest run was 20 miles. I had run an 18 mile or also and 16 miles and and whatnot, but I'd never experienced a quad twitching. It could, of course, have something to do with the 25 hills, and I might have just overworked my my quads, pulled too much from my quads. So right around this time is also when I started noticing my form 
began to slip. So meaning my arm swing slowed, my foot turnover slowed, and basically my cadence started slipping. And this is important to notice, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Miles 20, 22, and 23. <laughs> I had to go back and look in the garment just to get the specific mileage, but those three times became a matter of just getting up the next hill or around the next turn, which of course was a clear sign of fatiguing. And I started walking up some of the hills, actually most of the hills for the rest of the race. The strawberries, I'm telling you at mile 23, have never tasted that good. <laughs> so thank you very much for the strawberries. Also around mile 20 is when I started noticing a soreness on the outside of my right knee. And later on, the arch of my left foot got really sore. And it actually took about a day and a half to gently work these aches out. Now part of the last mile the race was run along the beach in Carmel. And I want you to picture white, wide, sandy beach, blue water, basically super pretty, but guess who wasn't appreciating the views at this point? Bummer. <laughs> so just to touch on form again, the last six to eight miles, I hung on to a fraction of my form. I tried maintaining good posture elongating my spine, right? Lightening my load and relaxing my legs and arms. But I noticed that I'd noticed that achiness on the outside of my right knee, which I hadn't felt before the race. So this is my first full marathon. I didn't have a true goal time in mind. And everybody said that Big Sur is not a course you set a peer on because of how tough it is. The women's first place was run in 2 hours and 49 minutes and the men's in 2 hours and 26 minutes this year. So my time of 4 hours and 48 minutes is a great baseline, I feel, for what I want to work on for my next race. My goal is to continue to work on my form and to be able to maintain it for all 26.2 miles or even longer. The principle of chi running is this. Proper form precedes distance, meaning we got to get the form down first before we start adding lots of distance to our runs, right? And that precedes speed. Because in following this principle, we can run efficiently and injury-free. So I want to make sure that I bring it back to the soreness and the pain that I was experiencing during my run and what possibly caused it. After talking to one of my certification coaches, Cheryl, who's a certified chi running coach, I think she's right when she reminded me how running with a slow cadence makes you more achy because your feet spend more time on the ground. There's literally more pressure and more weight on your muscles with the more time your feet spend on the ground, right? as opposed to be being up in the air between steps. So thinking about my race as I was fatiguing, I slowed my cadence and lengthened my stride, trying to recover this way. And this could explain the achiness on the right side of my knee. 
because when we start to fatigue, we want to slow our cadence and lengthen our stride thinking that it'll help, but it won't. We're actually more prone to injuring or hurting ourselves when we do this. So this is why focusing on form before distance is so important if we want to run injury free. This is my first marathon and what I learned was I can maintain pretty good form for 17 miles. I'm pretty proud of this accomplishment and I attribute it to practicing chi running. This is such valuable information for me and it'll inform my decisions going forward because my bigger life goal is to run injury free. And I want you to consider this for yourself too, runner friend what your bigger running goal is, not just, you know, the next race goal. All right, so before I wrap this up, I just had to do a little bit of research in preparation for this episode. And I think it's so interesting that sometimes we forget the most obvious thing, such as running a marathon is a big deal. It's a frigging big deal. But hanging out with runners you kind of forget how rare it is. In fact, my research shows me that less than 1% of the U.S. population, and I think actually the world population, it's the same stat, has run a marathon. Less than 1%. And the average, and I think this is fun too, the average marathon time for women worldwide, as I mentioned, is about 4 hours and 45 minutes. Before I finish, I want to add that although running a marathon in itself is amazing, it's the training that leads up to this event that shapes you as a runner, right? Not the race itself, really. It's a four or five, six maybe weekly runs in snow, rain, hail, freezing temperatures, hurricane winds, whatever, (laughs) 5 a.m. in the morning, whenever you run. If you're wondering if a marathon is for you, I would encourage you, but Just understand the commitment that goes into it. You're looking at, I would say, an average of at least 16, if not 24, maybe more weeks of dedicated training. So you're looking at about four to six months of dedicated training at least. One thing that really stood out to me that my coach mentioned was the importance of consistency in my training. And I'm not saying you can't have a less than ideal training leading up to a marathon and still manage to run it. But the question is if you want to have that as your attitude going into it. Because ideally, you'll want to show up for every single run on your training plan to get the volume, the necessary volume in your legs to support your race so that you can have an amazing race on race day, right? All right, there you have it, runner friend. As always, come check us out in my runner's mind if you're interested in more mindset tools to improve your running experience. Until next week. So if running is our practice ground and we can turn every experience into fuel, then we can transfer it to the rest of our life and positively impact our whole world. Just one run at a time.